Well, our Bible study is a, a bit longer this morning than usual, so let's go ahead and get going on it. This morning we come to Genesis chapter 17, so if you haven't done so already, um, please go ahead and open your Bibles up there. We're seeing that the story of Abram, soon to be Abraham, a man of faith, his story is going on here in Genesis 17. And jumping right on into verse 1 here, it says, When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am Almighty God. Walk before me and be blameless. And I will make my covenant between me and you and will multiply you exceedingly. So at this point in time, Abram is really up there in age, right? He's 99 years old, but the Lord is still working in and ultimately through the life of Abram. God is not done with him yet. And, you know, it would do us well this morning to understand that as long as we have breath in us, we can continue to walk with the Almighty God. Now, the words Almighty God there in verse 1 are the Hebrew words El Shaddai. You see, this is the way that God is describing himself to Abram here. El Shaddai speaks to the fact that he is God all-powerful, all-sufficient. This is the God of the Bible, the God of Abram. There is none greater than he. He is all-powerful, and there is none that we need beside him. He is all-sufficient, and there is nothing that he cannot do. He appears to Abram here at a time in Abram's life when he had most likely come to the conclusion that, as far as this whole child of promise thing was concerned, Abram most likely thought that his son Ishmael, was going to be that promised child. Because surely he and Sarah are too old now to have children. But here again, he is 99, and Almighty God speaks to him, El Shaddai, the all-powerful one, the all-sufficient one. And Almighty God tells Abram to walk before him and be blameless. So again, God is never done with us. We are to serve and to walk blameless before Almighty God as long as we live this life that we've been given here on this earth. And Abram is an example to us of a life of faith, a, a life of persistence. Sure, he had failures. He had doubts. But God was still faithful to his word and faithful to his promise. And you and me today need to realize that we must keep on walking before God in a way that is blameless. Now, let's talk about that word blameless. Because that word blameless there does not mean that we are to be without fault. Nor was Abram without fault. It does not mean that we don't make mistakes and, and have some times of poor judgment, poor decisions, right? Because we've even seen that in our study thus far in the life of Abram. That he was not always faultless in his ways. So the Hebrew word there for the word blameless or perfect as it is rendered in the King James Version is the word tamim. And it is a word that means complete, whole, entire, or sound. Let me repeat that. That's what that word blameless means there. Tamim is the Hebrew word. It means complete, whole, entire, or sound. So God's telling Abram here to walk before him complete, whole, entire, sound, right? So you can think of that word as meaning firmly fixed, right? Not needing anything else, having all you need right where you are. That's how God is speaking to Abram here. He says to him, I am the all-powerful one, the all-sufficient one, Abram. You're complete in that. 
This is who's speaking to you right now, Abram. He, God is telling him that, that he is able to do anything. And all that Abram needs to do is just keep walking through this life firmly fixed in Almighty God. Right? He's telling Abram, you're complete in me, Abram. You're whole in me. It's not that you, it's not you, Abram, that's all-powerful. It's not you that is all-sufficient. I am El Shaddai, the Almighty God. See, this is what God is bringing across to, to Abram here. And you see, for you and me today as born-again Christians, believers in Jesus Christ, if you've come to that place in your life today where you've been born again, you've submitted your life to Him, you've, you've died to yourself, you've taken up the cross, you've followed after Jesus, you've given your life to Him, then if that's you, then you are complete in Christ. In the New Testament book of Colossians chapter 2, which we'll look at a little bit later here in this study, we're told of Jesus, it says that in Him dwells the, all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in Him. And that word complete in that verse in, in Colossians chapter 2 is a Greek word that means to make full or to fill up, right? So if you picture a glass and you're filling it with water, it gets filled to the top. That's as much as it can fit. That's all that glass can take. That's all that glass needs, right? So you see, it's Almighty God, right? It's it's. Jesus, right, whom the fullness of the Godhead dwells, and again, we'll look at that in Colossians chapter 2, but in Jesus, the fullness of the Godhead dwells, and you and I, if you've come to Christ, you are complete in Him. You are filled up. He's all you need. You, you are whole. You are entire. You are sound. You are firmly fixed, and apart from Him, we can do nothing, right? But we can do all things through Christ, which strengthens us. So as it was here for Abram, so it is for us in Christ today. You see, don't ever feel like God's not able to make something of your life. Don't ever feel that there's not some way that God can use you, because it's not your strength that matters. It's His. It's not your ability that matters, it's His. He is the all-powerful, all-sufficient One. And it's never too late with God, and nothing is impossible with God. He simply wants you to be completely His, entirely His, wholly His, rooted and grounded in Him. And of course, how do we get there today? How does any person get there today? It's only through faith in Jesus Christ, the one in whom the, the fullness of the Godhead dwells bodily in Jesus Christ. So we are to fix our eyes on Jesus. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Him. Okay? So He has promised that He that we will ever be with Him, right? He has promised us an eternal home, a wonderful place where we will someday dwell. And He has purchased us with His blood. And He is coming back for us someday. And while we walk through this temporary place, we are to walk before Him blameless, firmly fixed, complete in Him. Acknowledging Him in every step of the way through this life. For He is God Almighty, and He is all that we need. Okay? So in verse 3, we see Abram's response to all of this. It says, Then Abram fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be a father of many nations. So God is establishing His covenant right now with Abram. Okay? And we know that God has already told Abram this, that he's going to be the father of many nations. And now God is showing up in Abram's life to perform on what he promised. First God said it, he meant it, and now we can say 
He's here to represent it, right? The time has come. All the years of Abram walking by faith in the Lord God are now coming to fruition. That's what we're seeing here this morning as we study this. Verse 5, No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I have made you a father of many nations. You see, the name Abram means father of many. And the name Abraham means father of many nations. And there's a difference here. You see, Abram, first of all, he probably spent most of his life, you know, his adult years thinking that his name was kind of foolish because for a long time he was the father of none. And at this point in time, at this point in the story here in Genesis, he's the father of one, Ishmael. So being called Abram, the father of many, is like, really? Right? But remember, what happened? Abram believed God, didn't he? And that belief was accounted to him as righteousness. Those who come to God, we're told in Scripture, must first believe that He is. Faith is how we obtain a, a righteous standing before God today. Specifically, again, for us, it's faith in Jesus Christ that gives us a righteous standing before God. And there is no other name given under heaven whereby men can be saved. It's Jesus and Jesus alone. And you know what? As you think about it today, people from many nations have come to faith in Jesus Christ, haven't they? People all over the world from many nations. Because as we study this, we'll see and we know that the descendants of Abraham and Sarah are the Jewish people. And God's establishing His covenant with them. But salvation has been offered today to people of all nationalities. We can look in Acts, the book of Acts and we can see the gospel begin to go forth into all the world. And we can look at Acts chapter 10 and see where it, it first went to the Gentiles. Right? But salvation is in Jesus Christ. So Abram was not going to be the father of only many that would be his name, Abram, right? He wasn't going to be the father of only one nationality of people, but rather he was going to be the father of many nations of people because he is the father of faith because Abram believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And today, we through faith come to righteousness. We have been saved for by grace you have been saved, right? It's God's grace. That's what grace is. God extends it to us unconditionally and says, Here, anyone in the world can be saved. How do we receive it? Through faith. For by grace you have been saved through faith. Okay, so we come to salvation through faith. It's a free gift, but we come to it through faith. And then we walk by faith and not by sight. So again, Abram wasn't going to be the father of many, only that one nationality of people, just the Jews. No, he was going to be the father of many nations of people. So now he's called Abraham. People of all nationalities will come to faith now in El Shaddai. And how did that happen? Well, it happened because El Shaddai became flesh and dwelt among us. John chapter 1, verse 14. The word that was there in the beginning, that created everything, became flesh and dwelt among us. Okay? So, again, God establishes this fact, the fact that faith saves us. He established all of this with Abram, who now, as we see here, has become Abraham. Many people from many nations can come to God now by faith. So, verse 6. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of you, and kings shall come from you. So as we go on, as we continue to go through the Bible, we'll read about the kings that descended from uh, Abraham and Sarah, right? You can read 1 Kings, 2 Kings. Um, but again, we also know the fact that a nation of people did indeed come from Abraham and Sarah. And that is the nation of Israel, the Jewish people. But all people of faith in the one true God, Jesus Christ, 
We are all children of Abraham in that sense because of faith. But we will go on through the rest of the Old Testament to read all about the children of Israel. The people that God chose as his own special people to bring forth the Messiah. And with that, right, verse 7 continues and says, And I will establish my covenant between me and your descendants after you and their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and your descendants after you. Now, that word God there in verse 7 is a different Hebrew word. It's not El Shaddai. It's the word Elohim. It is a plural word that means rulers, judges, divine ones. So God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, He alone is to be our God. He is Elohim. In Genesis 1, we see where it says, in the beginning God created, right? We studied that. There you find the same Hebrew word as this one, Elohim. So Elohim created all that is. Elohim became flesh and dwelt among us as Jesus Christ. And Elohim as the Holy Spirit now indwells us. One God who is a spirit that takes on these three forms. He is our judge, our ruler, El Shaddai, the Almighty God. He is Elohim, our creator, our Lord, and our ruler through this life. Again, He is all-sufficient. He is all we need. He is all-powerful. Verse 8, Also, I give to you and your descendants after you the land in which you are a stranger, all the land of Canaan, as an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. So, who was the land of Canaan given to as an everlasting possession? Well, it was given to the descendants of Abraham and Sarah. Not the descendants of Abraham and Hagar. Ishmael came from Abram, but he was not the promised child. He would dwell in the land with his brethren, as we studied a couple weeks ago. But it will be Isaac that comes from Abraham and Sarah. That will be the child of promise. So the promised land is an everlasting possession of the children of Israel. And God, El Shaddai, Elohim, is the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac. And as we will later see in Genesis, He is the God of Jacob, whose name will be changed to Israel. But when Abram showed up in the land of Canaan, Right? He was indeed a stranger there. Why? Well, because the land was already populated with people. Where did those people come from? They were the descendants of Ham. They were already there. But as I've said before, with God, it's not first come, first serve. The land wasn't to belong to those people that were there at that time, the descendants of Ham. That was not God's will. And the biggest thing that we need to keep in mind as we go through the Bible is that the main purpose of all that we see take place is that it all leads up to salvation and Jesus Christ. You see, you can't miss that point. You see, that's what the God of love has done. He so loved the world, every person, every person of every nationality. He has so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, Jesus Christ that whomsoever believes on Him will not perish, but have everlasting life. And God is working out a plan. And that plan does not always make every person feel happy or feel good or, or you get what you want, right? But God is all-knowing, right? He loves the Jew. He loves the non-Jew. He loves every nationality of people. God loves you. But, you see, your religion doesn't matter in the grand plan of God, nor does your culture, right? What family you were raised up in or who your descendants were. All that matters today is that people come to faith in Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God. For He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through Him, right? Today the battle rages on over land and who it belongs to. But we can't overlook the purpose of Almighty God. We can't overlook the plan of salvation that we see throughout the Bible. And God is not willing that any should perish. But there are religions today that are 
causing many people to perish in the name of their religion. They say, become part of our religion or die. And then there are other religions that are causing people to perish because they're teaching a false doctrine. Right? These are religions based in selfishness. Right? We want what is ours or, and we'll kill you to get it. But this is not the way of the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible is a God of love who has a plan of salvation. Okay? And then, again, we, we've got to come to that one and only way to salvation, and that's Jesus. So we're complete in Him. We're made whole in Jesus. We're blameless at that point. Verse 9, And God said to Abraham, As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you throughout their generations. Okay, so throughout Genesis thus far, we have seen where God makes covenants with people. He made covenants with Noah. And he's made covenants with Abraham. We've seen that up till this point, right? And you know what? On, on every occasion, on, with every covenant, God has come through on his side of the deal. He always has, and he always will. On that, we can rely. But now, in this covenant, Abraham's going to have a part to play. God is going to give Abraham something that he must perform on. This covenant is not going to be one-sided. So then, what is this covenant that Abraham and his descendants are now going to, to keep with God? Well, verse 10 tells us, This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you. Every male child among you shall be circumcised. So pause right there, because I, I want to just point out to you here that this covenant, the covenant of circumcision, is going to obviously stay in effect for a long time. It'll stay in effect all the way up till Jesus pronounces a new covenant, which is the covenant that we are under today. And we'll see that a little bit later here in our study too. But just keep that in mind for now. Let's read on verse 11. And you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. So God is saying here, right, hey, this is your part of the deal, Abraham. This is what you and your people are going to have to do. Verse 12, He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male child in your generations, he who is born in your house or bought with money from any foreigner who is not your descendant, he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money must be circumcised, and, and my covenant shall be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant. And the uncircumcised male child who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, that person shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. Okay. So let's talk about circumcision here, this covenant of circumcision. This is a obviously a physical covenant for Abraham and his descendants to keep, right? And like I said, it'll last for many years. But just to simplify circumcision for our minds today and what we can learn from it, it is simply a cutting away of the flesh. And it's important for you and me today as followers of Jesus Christ that we understand that as such, a cutting away of the flesh. So as Gentile believers in Jesus Christ, right, or as any believer that comes to Jesus Christ, we're not under this covenant in the physical sense, as the descendants of Abraham were, but we apply this to our lives today in that we are to come to Christ and we are to cut away the flesh. In other words, we are to do away with the flesh-led life, where we live in willful sin, on a, on a daily basis, right? Let's mark this page and turn to the New Testament book of Colossians chapter 2, which I quoted from earlier. Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2. Everybody there? Well, let's start reading in verse 4, Colossians 2, 4. Now this I say, lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words. 
Now let's pause right there and let me explain to you what's taking place here. The Apostle Paul, who wrote this letter to the Colossians, right? He's worried about these people being deceived with persuasive words. You see, the Jewish believers in Jesus Christ in that day had a battle going on, both within them and around them. It was a very deeply rooted tradition with the Jews that circumcision was necessary for salvation. And of course, this goes all the way back in time to what we're reading about here in Genesis chapter 17 with Abraham, right? And it's hard for them to accept any other thing. And the believers in Jesus Christ in this city, the city of Colossae here, were being told that circumcision was still necessary. But it was not. Because a new covenant has come about. And we'll touch on that in just a little bit here. But in verse 5, the Apostle Paul continues and says, For though I am absent in the flesh, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. So Paul's basically saying here, Hey, you know, I'm not with you guys physically right now, but man, it's, it's, it's good to hear that you're steadfast in Jesus Christ. Okay, verse 6, as you have therefore received Christ, or yeah, Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit, according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ, for in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. So remember, El Shaddai, Elohim, the Almighty God, He spoke to Abraham, the divine ruler, the, the divine judge. Jesus is all of this. He is God in the flesh. We don't need anyone else, and we don't need anything else. It's not Jesus plus your religion. It's not what your religion believes about Jesus. It's not Jesus plus your church. It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. It's Jesus plus nothing, because in Him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. We are to be established in Him and in Him alone. The new covenant, which I will show you here, is in His blood. But, Still speaking of Jesus, verse 10 here says, And you are complete in him, who is the head of all principality and power. In him you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. So that's the importance of circumcision for you and me today. It's not the physical act of circumcision, but rather it's the putting off the body of the sins of the flesh. Do you see that? Scripture is very plain here on that. And this is what is called at the end of verse 11 there, the circumcision of Christ. So when a person comes to Christ, they are to put off the body of sin. We are no longer to yield our body to sin. We are no longer to be led by the flesh. This is the only circumcision that matters today. And of course, this is for both males and females. Right? Of course, physical circumcision does not apply to females, but the circumcision of Christ surely does. Galatians 3.28 tells us that in Christ there's neither male nor female. So again, the only circumcision that matters is the putting off the body of the sins of the flesh. We are all the same in Christ, spiritually speaking. If physical circumcision was necessary for salvation, then where would that leave the females? But God loves everybody. And Jesus Christ is sufficient for everyone and anyone, male, female, no matter what race you are, no matter your background, whatever it may be, you can come to Christ. But when you come to Christ, you're being circumcised in Christ in that you are putting off the body of the sins of the flesh. You are repenting. Repentance isn't taught very much in the modern day Christian church. It's just all about 
hey, come just as you are, stay just as you are. But we don't see that in Scripture. There is a new covenant. It's in His blood. And when we come to it, we are to put off the body of the sins of the flesh, male or female, Jew or Gentile, whoever you are. It's the only way. So again, so we put off the body of the sin of the flesh, and, and this is expressed in our baptism. Why do I say that? Well, look at verse 12. Buried with him in baptism, in which you also were raised with him through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. So, in your baptism, what happens? Your old man, your old person, right, is buried. Think about picture baptism being immersed in the water, put under the water, right? The, the you that, the person that you were that once walked in willful sin and willful disobedience to God, you are dead and buried. And also in that baptism, what happens? You go under and then you come up, right? You're raised from the dead. And all of this, as verse 12 says, is how? Through faith in the working of of God who raised Jesus from the dead. So baptism is an extremely important event in your life. And if you haven't been baptized, don't put it off any longer. But when you come, when you come to Christ and you are then baptized, come to Christ repentant and having put off that body of the sins of the flesh. And you then begin to walk in a newness of life. And you begin to walk in a completely different way. And how do you do it? You do it by faith. Because your eyes are still going to see the same thing. You're going to be living in the same world that you were living in before you came to Christ, but now you're not of it anymore. You're still in it. You're not of it. And, and the, the thing that makes you not of it is you are a person of faith. And you don't walk in the ways of the world anymore. So you express that faith by getting baptized. And then you live from that point on as if that body of sin that you once walked around in is dead and buried. You do this by faith. All right? And if you have been baptized, but you've never had this commitment that I'm talking about this morning, then I suggest you start again. Start all over. Start today. Repent. Come to Christ, be baptized with a repentant heart and put off the body of the sins of the flesh because that is the circumcision that every one of us needs. It is a circumcision of the heart where we then begin to walk blameless or complete in Him, made whole in Jesus but let's keep reading here in Colossians chapter 2, verse 13. And you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he is made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. So the old you has been done away with. And your baptism symbolized that. The law that once held you as guilty as a sinner has also been done away with in Jesus Christ. You're not under the law anymore. It's not about your religious do's and don'ts. And, and the do's and the don'ts, in other words, the things you do and the things you don't do, it's not because of religion, but rather it's because of your love for Jesus Christ. Who, who now indwells you by His Holy Spirit. And you don't want to trample His blood under your foot and, and profess His name and then be living in a, a completely different way that's contrary to what we see in His Word. Right? You are now to live a life that is not led by the flesh anymore. It's led by the Spirit. And with all of that, you've entered into a new covenant. So, Let's look at some scriptures on that. Turn to the Gospel of Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22. 
Jesus is having final meal here with his disciples at Passover. And let's start reading down in verse 15. So Luke 22, verse 15. Then he said to them, With fervent desire I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I will no longer eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread and gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. So this is where Jesus, God in the flesh, pronounces that there is now a new covenant. The covenant of the law has been, has been done away with, nailed to the cross. Now there, there's a much deeper study that we can do on this as it pertains to the covenants of old, right? And, you, and I really encourage you to dig deeper into this study. But what we're seeing here this morning is that the covenant of circumcision that God made with Abraham and his descendants and then the covenant of the law as well of Moses are all done away with because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Remember, the law was good. It's just been fulfilled in Jesus so as I say, it's been done away with, I, I simply mean that Jesus is all we need. Because the law is still good, but it's not necessary for salvation. And the only thing I'm trying to show you this morning is that we as believers in Jesus Christ are now under a new covenant that is in the blood of Christ. And let me show you another important, another important scripture for me and you today, go ahead and turn to the book of Galatians chapter 5. It's to the right of where we are. You'll find John, Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, then Galatians. So Galatians chapter 5. We're going to look down at verse 6. Galatians 5, 6, it says, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything, but faith working through love. So that's the key right there. Faith working through love. A person of faith is to be known for their works that are done in love. First of all, they love God. They love Jesus Christ, and they show that in the way that they live their lives, in the choices that they make, the fact that they put off the body of the sins of the flesh. God is love. God displayed his love for us by giving us Jesus, and God, by his Spirit, indwells the born-again believer today. So therefore, that love of God is within us, and it comes from within us, right? You see, it's not the outward working of your religious expressions, such as circumcision or keeping the law that matters. It's not about what day we worship or even where we worship. The only thing that should be seen about us as Christians is faith working through love. When you have faith working through love, you're going to keep the law. You're going to do what's right in the sight of God. You're not going to cast aside any part of God's Word. You're going to live in the way that He wants you to, but it's not about the law anymore. It's all about Jesus. We're firmly fixed. We're rooted and grounded. We're built up in Jesus. We're complete in Jesus, blameless. Right? 
And when we talk about love, we know that 1 Corinthians 13 expounds on all of that, doesn't it? If you, if you give all you have to the poor, but you have not love, then what good is it, right? If you speak with the tongues of angels, but have not love, then what good is it? If you have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries, but you have not love, what good is it? Now, I'm paraphrasing 1 Corinthians 13 as I say this, but love is the key thing. In all of this. Circumcision would indeed be a big deal for the Jews. You know what? As it should have been. Why? Because it was God's original covenant with Abraham. And the law would be a big deal as well to the Jews as it should have been. Why? Because it came from God. But for the Christian, the believer in Jesus Christ, we understand that we are now under a new covenant that has been established in the blood of Christ. And we are now to be a people of faith. We walk by faith and not by sight. And our faith is something that is evident. People don't have to guess. People don't have to look at us and say, is that a person of faith? Because if they are, they're hypocritical. Because they're living one way, but yet they're professing faith in Jesus Christ. They're living in the this body of sin of theirs and they're they're choosing to sin on a on, you know in a willful way they're choosing to sin but yet they're professing Jesus Christ they can't be under this new covenant the blood of Christ All right so when we love God it'll be evident in the way that we live so let's go ahead and turn back to Genesis chapter 17 we're hitting on a lot of different topics here this morning, covering a lot of different things. But Genesis 17, back there, picking it up in verse 15, it says, Then God said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. And I will bless her and also give you a son by her. Then I will bless her and she will be a mother of nations. Kings of peoples shall come from her. So basically, it's the same blessing that came to Abraham is coming to Sarah. Remember, Sarah was faithful through it all. She stayed the course right alongside of Abraham. We discussed that a couple of weeks ago. You see, the name Sarai means princess, and the name Sarah means noble woman. So God is giving her a name of nobility. She's more than just a princess now. She is a noble woman. And you know, as much as I love the story of Abraham in the Bible, I just as much love the story of Sarah. What an awesome woman of God she is. And somebody that the women of God today should look to and see how she lived. But Abram is still dealing with with the shock of all of this. And in verse 17, then Abram fell on his face and laughed and said, in his heart, shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? And shall Sarah, who is 99 years old, or excuse me, 90 years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, oh, that Ishmael might live before you. So Abraham's trying to impose his will here. He's saying, come on, God, why can't you just let Ishmael be the promised child? I'm too old for this. Then God said, verse 19, then God said, no, Sarah, right? So Sarah, this noble woman, right? Your wife shall bear you a son and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant and with his descendants after him. So here we see God's plan unfolding. The descendants of Abraham and Sarah through Isaac will be the people of covenant. We will see that Isaac will bear a son named Jacob, and his name will be changed to Israel. These are the people of promise, the people of the covenant, those through whom God well, eventually, as we read through the Bible, we'll see that he'll bring the Messiah through this people, Jesus Christ. But keep in mind what we read 
and studied a couple of weeks ago, I believe it was, about Hagar, the mother of Ishmael. She was not forgotten. She was not cast away by God. God visited her in her time of despair. And God will assure Abraham here that he will not cast away Ishmael either. So you've got to read the entirety of Scripture. You've got to be careful because God loves people. God is a God of love. And in verse 20, he says, as for, And as for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and will multiply him exceedingly. He shall beget twelve princes, and I will make him a great nation. So the people of Ishmael would indeed go on to be great in number as well. In Genesis chapter 5, and we'll get there soon, you can find the descendants of Ishmael that come from, these, from his 12 sons. These are the 12 princes mentioned here in verse 20. They are significant people, and they will play a role in the end times. We're seeing that unfolding today before our very eyes with these people, aren't we? And you know, since the time of Ishmael and, and Isaac, there's been conflict in the Middle East. As we saw with the land of Canaan, though, it didn't matter to God, you know, who laid claim on the land, or it didn't matter to him that there were people there already when Abram got there, because the land was going to belong to Abraham and his descendants. Right? Ishmael was indeed the, the firstborn to Abraham, but he was not the child of promise. But God still assured Abraham that the people of Ishmael would continue on. And again, it's so important that you fast forward as we read about this and that we understand that God so loved the world. Be it the descendants of Ishmael, be it the descendants of Isaac, all the descendants of all the world, all the people of all the world, God so loved the world that he gave. He gave his only begotten son. And Jesus would come and die for the sin of the world. And anyone, any person, whomsoever will, whatever nationality you are, whatever religion you find yourself in, you can come to Christ today. Let's go ahead and finish out the chapter, verse 21. But my covenant... I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this set time next year. Then he finished talking with him, and God went up from Abraham. So Abraham took Ishmael his son, all who were born in his house, and all who were bought with his money, every male among the men of Abraham's house, and circumcised the flesh of their foreskins that very same day as God has said to him. Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, and Ishmael, his son, was 13 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. That very same day, Abraham was circumcised and his son Ishmael, and all the men of his house, born in the house or bought with money from a foreigner, were bought with money from a foreigner, were circumcised with him. So it's interesting to see here that Abraham continued on as a man of faith, didn't he? He would keep his end of the covenant. No matter how hard it might have been for him to understand, he would walk by faith and not by sight. And you know what? He would do it that very same day that God spoke with him. He was quick to be obedient to the word of the Lord. What about you and me today? What about you if you profess faith in Jesus Christ. You, you profess to be a child of God, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of Israel, the God and Father of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You profess faith in Him today. What do you do? Are you quick to obey His Word? Or do you think, oh no, I, I, I don't have to do that? Right? Do you continue on in the faith in spite of what your perception of things may be? Or do you turn away from the faith? I believe we're going to see more and more people turning away from the faith as the you know as they turn up the heat against Christianity. 
today. But I also believe that there will be a purifying of the body of Christ and that there will be a people that stand for Christ and stand firm in Christ and in the love of Christ and that can reach out to this lost and dying world around us with the love of Christ because that's what God was doing in Jesus Christ, reaching out in love. And that's what the gospel is still to do today, to go forth to every person, every nation, every nationality. You see, El Shaddai, the Almighty God, is faithful. He's faithful to perform on what He has promised. We've been purchased with the blood of Jesus Christ. We are now under a new covenant. We belong to Him, and we are to remain firmly fixed in Him. This is what the Bible calls blameless, as we've studied today. And we are blameless not because of what we do or what religious rituals we perform. We are blameless because of the blood of Jesus Christ, our Lord. And the way that we keep up our end of the deal, our end of the covenant, is to walk by faith in Him, to continue in the faith in Him, to press on in faith, to walk by faith and not by sight, to not be led by the flesh. You remember, if you've come to Christ, you've put something off, and that is the body of the sins of the flesh. You've put them off, right? And, and we are to stay that course now and to walk in that way. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for your holy word, God. We thank you for your love, God. I pray for each and every one of us here today and for those that will listen to this teaching via the internet or in one way, shape, or form hear it. I pray, Lord, that we all would just commit our hearts to you, that we would look into your word and see that you are a God of love, that you have a plan. It's not about hatred. It's not about dividing over land or dividing over territories. We see it even within the body of Christ, Lord. People fighting over territories of where they put their church or, or how close they want another church to them, Lord. But, Lord, I pray, Lord, that we will just commit our ways to you. That we would acknowledge you in every aspect of our lives, and that we would be a people of love, Lord, that share your love with those we come in contact with on a daily basis. And again, Lord, I pray for those that will listen, that have not come to faith in you. I pray that today they will begin to seek you. Seek you by studying and reading your word, Lord, and that they would come by faith to you, Lord Jesus and surrender their lives, and repent, and turn from the body of the sins of the flesh, and turn to faith in you. So again, Lord, we thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen.